0: We're starting a new tradition, guys, where we're going to pick out an affirmation card. But first...
1: Hi. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Who are we?
0: I don't know. We forgot. (laughs) Our parents would
1: have been so mad. Our parents.
0: (laughs) Speaking of, I told my mommy about the podcast.
1: Aww. Okay. You go. So my affirmation this morning says, there's no such thing as a mistake. Everything happens in divine order. I am being guided to learn and grow. Oh, so yeah, you are
0: nice, so nice. I'm gonna have it like right here. Ooh, maybe we should get her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this one, um, mine says, "I honor my self worth by asking for what I want." Okay, I just mm. gotta be more aggressive with my approach be to life. Aggressive.
1: <laughs> be be aggressive. Aggressiva. <laughs>
0: <Aggressive. laughs> um. I was saying, oh yeah, I was talking to mommy this morning, and I was telling her she she was asking me, she's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, i on the calle, and she's like, tan temprano, and I was like, yeah, para para llegar a la casa temprano, tienes que salir a la calle temprano, um, and then she was like, for what? And then I told her I was like, oh, es que voy a grabar un episodio, and I forgot I hadn't told her about the podcast because I don't want her to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Because I say things sometimes about, like, I talk about mommy and my relationship with her, and I don't know if she likes that or not. So I'm like, I'm just gonna, you know, not tell her. (laughs) What did she say? And she's like, ¿A poco tienes un podcast? (laughs) 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 And I'm like, Yes. (laughs) Uh, and she's like, "¿Cómo se llama?" And I was like, "You're not gonna like the name." <laughs> and she's like, "What is it?" I was like, "Yorona, pero chingona." And she just started laughing.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um, she's like, "A mí me gusta escuchar esas cosas," and I was like, "Well, no escuches el mío."
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we will see. <laughs> you know, that's so, that's so funny because you can literally see how we're scared. We're 28 and we're still scared to tell our parents <laughs> certain things. Yeah. First gen. First,
0: struggles. Gen, first gen struggles, yes. <laughs> first gen struggles for Como sure.
1: cuando todavía you need to ask for permission to, to go, go out, out yeah and you're like freaking almost dirty
0: I know <laughs> I know
1: wow um, we got a little sighted in a little bit but hope everyone is doing great today yeah um today we have our very special guest we do um she is Someone that I got to meet because of Yessie. Well, we're both lear- meeting her together, I guess. Yeah, we I mean, are. we haven't met her officially in person until today. Yeah. Um, but just from hearing all the amazing things that she's doing, I am intrigued to meet her.
0: Me too. Honestly, I'm very excited for this episode. I think this is something, this topic is something that not a lot of people get to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like, because... So, the person that we are going to be talking about, like, the topic today is about, like, trauma and just, like, it, trauma with, like, immigrate, immigrating here migrating here and what that causes for everyone, right? And so, we're really going to want to dive deep into that. And I think, like I said, like, it's not talked about a
1: lot. Mental health in general. Yeah. I feel like it's, like, a taboo topic that if you're, like, when we think about mental health and we think about trauma and hispanic and latino community it's kind of like you should you're crazy like if you go to a psychiatrist or oh, you're yeah. crazy if you go to a psychologist like you know uh-huh. all of those things mm-hmm. and um hopefully with once we have our conversation with our guest today we can encourage our latino community to seek the help that they need and that they deserve to get because i feel like I, even me personally growing up i could have started therapy a lot sooner than i did if I was motivated to do yeah to do so
0: yeah I mean like thinking back on like growing up I was like I was definitely depressed in middle school and high school Mm -hmm. I could have used a therapist then too Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know things happen for a reason um maybe that wouldn't have gotten me to be a therapist now so I'm grateful that things happened the way they did but
1: anyways how are you doing (laughs) really good I really like this affirmation. Uh huh. I feel like we should start doing this more I often. I am excited. yeah. Um, I'm down for that. To do like a little affirmation before we start our episodes to get our motivation going. Yeah, I yeah. think
0: so too. Hondo, do you want to pick one? <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's camera shy, our producer. A ver, enseña. Do you want us to read it for you? Oh, no. It says, I my to
0: be right. I am defenseless and so, so the universe is telling Handel to you need
1: to show bug up.
0: You're not right all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, producer, <laughs> we get it.
0: <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just,
1: kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But what about you? How are you?
0: um i'm feeling pretty good today i think this is day four that i'm coming off my meds and stuff so slowly but surely my dosage i, w- I used to take 90 milligrams of a medicine of deloxetine or cymbalta and now i'm at 60 milligrams so um it's
1: 90 high i don't know
0: honestly i don't know but i don't want it to get higher yeah um but i'm feeling pretty good i am feeling a lot more like I think like in tune with my emotions, like I do feel myself a little bit
1: more emotional, I feel like, like. sensitive in a way.
0: Yeah, like a little bit more
1: sensitive. Um, a se Yes but okay.
0: <laughs> Like I like the dream that I had this morning, I'm not going to talk about it because I'm not going to put that out in the universe anymore. Um, I, I woke up and I was crying. So uh, yeah, no, I don't know.
1: So you're a sensitive bitch right now.
0: I'm always a sensitive bitch, but I'm an extra sensitive (laughs) bitch today. (laughs) Be aware,
1: guys. Be aware of what you say to Yessie from here (laughs) and out.
0: (laughs) Be nice to me. Um, But I think that, like, yeah, I I think that, like, this is good. Like, I need to learn to be okay with just, like, my raw um, nervous system and stuff. So, yeah. But I feel really good. Um, I've been learning a lot of things these past week weeks. I finished two trainings that I've been putting on hold for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a training yesterday. And then when I got home, I was like, I need to learn more. So I started reading a book on Santray therapy. So I'm excited to learn more about that.
1: Mm. Maybe we could have an episode where you tell us a little bit more of your role. Because I feel like play therapy is something very important, especially yeah. for our families out there who I mean... Don't yeah. really
0: know what play therapy is. Yeah. And now and now I'm nervous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she talks every day now. She
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think that would be a good episode mm-hmm. to have. I don't know if like people have questions or especially like um like if you have children and you're like debating whether a child should have a therapist or not, like talking about that I think is really important because it doesn't hurt to have someone to talk to, is what I always say.
1: Yeah, so. especially no matter the age, kids go through a lot of stuff too. Not only us as adults, yeah, but they go through a lot of changes, a lot of transitions. So that's nice. Oh, I, I'm saying maybe we can have an episode with you.
0: Yeah, I mean we can definitely talk about it.
1: All right. Well, <laughs> let's go ahead and get ready for our guest for today. I'm really excited. I'm so excited for mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hope you guys <laughs> enjoy it and. We'll see. Talk to you later. (laughs) (laughs) Our guest for today is a bilingual licensed clinical social worker with over 17 years of experience. She provides mental health support to children and families. She has focused her career on providing mental health services to individuals seeking healing from complex trauma, such as trauma from immigration or deportation, sexual assault, and child abuse. Not only is she a licensed clinical social worker, but a clinical supervisor and EMDR certified. She believes that creating a safe and trusting environment, free of judgment and bias, is essential for the therapeutic process. Please welcome our amazing guest for today, Vanessa Robles.
0: Woo! Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> welcome, welcome, Vanessa. Hello. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ¿Cómo estás? Estoy bien. Mm. Thank you. I'm a
2: little
0: <laughs> nervous, but... Pero...
1: Don't um, worry,
2: me too. I'm, so I'll be taking <laughs> lots of deep breaths. <laughs>
0: Man, I should have bought my fidget
1: stuff. Mm-hmm. But you can
0: fidget with some of the crystals if you yeah. want. There we go. Oh, I get have that fidgets, good
1: too. You have fidgets? I have a little, like, I use it when I'm in the car with traffic.
2: I should keep one in my purse. It's a really good idea. No, mm. yeah, I
1: recommend it mm-hmm. so I don't road rage. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of. <laughs> okay. Um... So I guess let's start with what makes you a chingona and or
2: a yorona. Mm, okay, I think this is such a hard question. Yorona, um, porque I am I'm a sensitive person, and I didn't grow up being a sensitive person because I feel like maybe not in all you know nothing families, but all, like, you're taught to be tough and, like, brush it off, and so that was definitely not me, but then once I became an adult, it's like, I cry at the silliest stuff, or if my friends are tearing up, I'm also tearing up, and which makes it hard for the job that we do as, like, a therapist, (laughs) because you can't be crying when you're, you know, your your (laughs) client's crying, but I just, I feel like um, I definitely... I'm an empath. Like I just feel people's feelings, and it really resonates with me to see someone like in pain or who's having a hard time, and I just want to help them feel better. So that's definitely my yorona piece. Um, <coughs> Chingona. I only because I feel like it's braggy that I feel weird talking about it, but I think we should also like love and support ourselves. So I'm gonna try to get past that. Um, but. Growing up where you are without and you don't have much and then being able to, like, I have a career, I have a place to live, I'm getting my doctorate, I'm doing really well in these things, I think the chingona part is, like, overcoming and, and being the success story that your ancestors wanted you to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah.
2: Me
1: too. Yeah. Very deep. <laughs> Can you tell we're Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: No, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with that. I think like. I think for a long time it's really it's really hard to be like, oh yeah, I did this, I did that. I'm getting my mm-hmm. doctorates, I got my masters, and really like feel like super proud of it. Yeah. Because I don't know if this if you guys resonate with this, but I'm just like that's just something I needed to do. That's yeah. another thing that I kind of like. I set a goal to do it, but like no matter what happened, I needed to do it. So mm-hmm. it doesn't. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it, 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 um, not that it isn't an accomplishment, but it doesn't feel like, like it was something that was, um, not that it was so out of reach, but I don't know how to explain it. Like, it was just a given that I, I don't know how I was gonna do it, but I needed to do it, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel like, big achievement, even though it absolutely is. Yeah,
1: (laughs) definitely. And -hmm. I feel like it takes me back in one of our previous episodes, whenever I was saying I only have my bachelor's degree, and a friend reached out, and she was like, girl, don't say I just... You have I a just. bachelor's degree. Yeah, that's she, amazing. she was like, don't mm-hmm. say that you just got a bachelor's degree. Like, that's amazing. You know how many people out there ha- can't make it that long? Mm-hmm. And it made me really think about it. And I'm like, I need to be proud of yes. what I have accomplished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That definitely yeah. makes you yeah. chingona. <laughs> well,
2: and if we're not our own cheerleaders, then who's going to be? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you might have, like, people in your corner, like your raza, your people, your family, but if you don't have that for yourself, then you're never really going to believe it. It makes, it. it makes those successes feel less like successes, even though they are. Mm-hmm. And so I know that's something that I struggle with, too, where yeah. I still feel very timid about, like, oh, I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to seem like soichocante or something like that. Because right. we got to yeah. be
0: humble. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> we got to be humble. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well... <laughs> um, de vienes? Son tus raíces, Vanessa?
2: So I've, I'm originally from the Rio Grande Valley, um, whoop, go 956, nine um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Raymondville, which is a tiny town in Willis County, Texas, down south, um, And uh, but now I've been living in Austin, I'm gonna age myself, I've been living in Austin for 24 years now.
1: And You're not
2: 24? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 25 <laughs> um, But um so I so I definitely don't call myself an Austinite because I, you have to be born and, you know, raised here to claim that. But I now I've lived here longer than I lived back home and so it's but that's still home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, even though I've been here for so long, and I definitely feel like Austin is also my home. When I go back to the Valley, my, my brother now lives in McAllen, and so I'll go to McAllen to go see him, and it's just, like, I don't know, it feels like a like a warm blanket. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the blanket with the tiger on it? like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where it That's feels like Monica. that. It's yeah, your San Marcos <laughs> blanket. Um, where, like, you're eating your food, everyone's speaking Spanglish. It's, like, or you, maybe you're just speaking Spanish, then you switch. You know, I just love it all. And so anytime I go back home, which I'm trying to do more of um, now that we're not in, like, the – crazy lockdown stages of COVID, I feel like I can do more of the Mm -hmm. getting to go back home and visit family, so, and, um, my family, um, is from Mexico, so, uh, when you were saying como de donde eres, I feel like that saying, like, no soy de aquí ni de allá is very much, like, it, it resonates with me, Mm -hmm. um, I was raised by my parents, but also my grandmother after my parents split up, and so, um, and she is from San Luis Potosí in Mexico. And so I really Ooh, feel like, and her shout out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I really feel like I'm in this middle place of, yes, I'm American, but I'm also very much claiming the Mexicana in me. And I feel very proud of that. And so a lot of times I, I reference myself, que soy Mexicana, even though I know I wasn't born there. Um, but that's just how, that just feels like that's who I am. Yeah.
0: So. Like, the corazón es mexicano. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. We feel that. Well, yeah. yes, he's the only Mexican here, I guess you can say, but I <laughs> That's still
0: not true. We're all <laughs> Mexican. But, like, born like, born, born yeah. in Mexico. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how is college for you? Where did you go? And, like, how was it for you being first generation, um, going to college, mm-hmm. um, and being... A Mexican and also a woman, how was that for mm.
2: you? Complicated. Um, <laughs> so yeah, being a first gen college student <clears throat> and moving to a city, being from like a little pueblito because Rainville is small, y'all. Like, it wasn't even 9,000 people before I left. Now they've like broken the 9,000 mark. Um, <laughs> Making babies, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was just such a small town, and then trying to navigate everything that you have to do just to get into college. Like, I shout out to my senior counselor, Mrs. Bedoya, who, uh, she was such a blessing in my life because, and I've messaged her on Facebook since um, because I wanted her to know, like, you were such an important part of this journey of where Mm -hmm. I am now because... um, I feel all emotional about it um, <laughs> because she saw something in me and she got me waivers to be able to, like, apply for UT, to get into UT. She got me um, waivers to be able to take my SATs, like, um, to be able to take my AP exams, like, other waivers, like, all these things that, like, we couldn't afford it. But, but without those things, like, I, I wouldn't have gone to UT. I wouldn't have known what to do. And mm-hmm. then trying to navigate as a first-gen... What do you write in a college essay? Like, yeah. um, <laughs> what do they want to know? Like, I see the questions, and I think I'm a decent writer, but I don't really, I don't really know what they're looking for. I'm um, not having someone who's like done these things before you to tell you, "Oh, Mija, here's what you need to do." Um, filling out financial aid applications. Ooh, oh my yeah. gosh, that is just mm-hmm. so complicated, and so I would. Um, like my counselor, she helped me a lot in like here's what you need, here's what you ask your mom for. And so I'd be going and like, Mom, I need your like your your paycheck stubs and I or I need this to so that way I can um, get this waiver so that way I can do this and um, and then she also connected me with like you would qualify for this scholarship or you could apply for this. And so I was super blessed in that there was someone in my corner who saw the potential in me and was like, I'm gonna help lift you up so you can mm-hmm. Live, live up to your potential <clears throat> but not everyone has that mm-hmm. and like even I have an older brother like even us talking about our different experiences he didn't have that and so um even though he was already at UT before I got there like he had no one who was helping him get all of those things and it was him having to figure out completely by himself and so he struggled more so than I did um in that way and I'm just so thankful Um, for Mrs. Bedoya, thank you. Um. (laughs) Everyone
0: needs a Mrs. (laughs) Bedoya.
2: Yes.
1: It brings you back to those teachers, Mm -hmm. people in your life who have a huge impact on who you are today, Mm -hmm. because I have a couple of those, too, Mm -hmm. who motivate you that you can do more. Yes. Just Um. not because, like, like, I I can relate with you so much. I did everything, FAFSA, everything on my own, Mm -hmm. and I had to figure it out, and it was Mm -hmm. trial and error. Like, there were so many things that I did wrong, Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my god, like, submitting it late or not submitting it right, Mm -hmm. and like, going back and figuring it out is hard. It is really hard.
2: Well, and some of the deadlines, because now I'm back in grad school, and so I'm applying for financial aid again, and like, I missed one of the deadlines because I didn't realize how early you have to turn it in because it had been so long between when I was last in school and and being back in school. At twenty five years old, Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, wow, nombre. (laughs) But it was just like such a uh, such a struggle again, where it was just a almost like a trigger, like a you know a reminder of like oh my god, yeah, I'm doing this by myself again, even though I've done it before. There's been such a gap between when I filled out a FAFSA FAFSA form when it was paper and now doing it online. like there were just so many things and then me applying where it's like no I don't need parent information because I'm a full-grown adult and so this is all of my information and where is this and um but yeah not having someone there to to tell you exactly what to do or to sit with you and be like okay miha, here's what we're going to do today we're going to fill this out because this is due on this date that in itself is a struggle and Mm -hmm. um you were talking about like my experience with um so I went to UT for my bachelor's and my master's and coming from the valley, where everybody looks like you pretty much, and everyone—not everyone, but all, most people—they speak Spanglish. They um, so you can go and you get your food anywhere you want. You have your gente anywhere you go. And then coming to UT and coming to Austin, where it's this big city, um, especially in comparison to um, my little town. And it was such a culture shock because suddenly I understood why I was labeled a minority, and before I just was told this, but I didn't really see it, I didn't really understand it. I just knew I wasn't the majority and that I was labeled a minority um, but I really felt it and i and I felt um like a like I didn't fit in anywhere, really, mm-hmm. and so luckily, someone who had come to UT a few years before I did and we were like in band together and some other organizations. Um she was like, When you come, like we're gonna hang out, I'll show you where your classes are. And so thank you to her too, you know, for just um being there. And then we ended up joining a Latina sorority. And so then I got to be with more of mi gente and like and so that so it was like I was it was trying to create community for yourself in mm-hmm. this big um in this big space where mm-hmm. it can be hard to figure out like where do I fit in with all these people and and um and so that was really helpful just getting involved in some organizations so that way I could find people who I could connect with
0: yeah 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 I I think like with going to college the I think that the biggest part of why I was able to make it so far was part of finding that community of like mm-hmm. these are my people mm-hmm. so yeah I can definitely resonate with that
1: mm-hmm. yeah and I feel like Austin I grew up here but I feel like as the years are going it's getting a little bit more diverse mm-hmm. than yeah. I, it's, I think so right like mm-hmm. I feel like UT is a very big university mm-hmm. that has so many students of not only like Americans but also Mm -hmm. from other countries and stuff so but everybody is trying to figure it out yeah I guess like everybody's on their own kind Mm -hmm. of thing unless it's kind of like look for your people out there Mm -hmm. they're not gonna come and look for you Mm Yeah, it's kind of one of those things but yeah -hmm. um, yeah, thank you for sharing that yeah and you're mentioning that you're getting your doctorate are you getting it here also at UT or Mm -hmm. um
2: no, so I'm getting my doctorate through the University of Pennsylvania. They have um, like a hybrid program where you do you go and you get to meet your professors and you have like this immersive um, time where you're on campus and then then you do your classes vir- like live virtually the evening so it's a program that's made for people who still want to work full-time but you want to get your doctorate because you're insane and you think that's possible um because <laughs> it's really hard um but um and so uh and so that's the program that i'm doing and so i'm in my supposed to be last year we'll see if i finish my dissertation um, i'm in my dissertation year right now and so classes are done i'm just doing um, like once a month, we do uh, dissertation workshops just so we can make sure like we're on, on target and mm-hmm. getting to learn about like the different things we should be including and and all
1: that. Definitely. That's mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's so amazing. I'm, I'm like rooting
1: <laughs> for you. Oh, Me thank too. you. <laughs> I want an update for the graduation. Desk. Yes, <laughs> we'll be there yes. cheering for you. <laughs> there goes that jingle, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah. feel like that merges our next question. Yeah. Can we talked a little bit about dissertation and you're can you tell our listeners and viewers what do you do what do you do for a living what's your Mm. career
2: yeah so I my nine to five is I coordinate social work services for a school district in the area and um, so I have I'm part of a team and we serve all the families within our district um And so that includes um, the McKinney-Vento, which is for displaced and and unhoused families. It includes foster care students. It includes pregnancy-related services, basic needs services, and then also mental health. And so um, my team does so much, but so much good. And I'm fortunate that I get to kind of lead that team. Um, And then outside of that, I have a small private practice um, where I – I only have one client um, right now. I had a few and it was like with the with my program, it was a little too much. And so I have one client and then I also supervise through my private practice as well for those um, social workers who are, have their LMSW and they wanna get their clinical licensure. Um, and so I do that through my private practice. It's mm. mm-hmm. amazing, I'm
0: yeah. like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that McKinney-Vento is a hard one mm-hmm. for those of you guys that don't know McKinney-Vento is a law um, yes. that we have and in Texas and in the U.S. and it's for families who are homeless that provides rights to mm-hmm. children and the families of the school districts to mm-hmm. be able to attend school and have that consistency with them with mm-hmm. that school um, and I only know this because I was a McKinney-Vento social worker oh yeah. a couple years ago yes um, so and it, it was, it's a lot of case mm-hmm. management and stuff like that, um, but that's, that's a lot of work. It is you a lot. That alone your, is a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You guys have your hands very full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a mm-hmm. lot of grants to kind of keep up to date with.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. I like, yeah, yesterday I was in a meeting for most of the day just for um, learning about, like, foster care students and the opportunities that they have Mm post-graduation and um, because foster care is a new area for me where when I did school social work before this um, that wasn't under our our responsibilities it was strictly mental health and so so one of the things that I love about this position that I'm in now is that I'm growing professionally Mm -hmm. and sometimes um, I know for myself before I was feeling kind of stagnant and I liked my job I was I felt like I was strong at it but I wanted to be challenged in a different way and flex some different muscles um and so that's where I moved into like this coordinator position and um and I love that I'm learning so much Mm -hmm. um and because it's only going to increase my ability to like help children to help families in the future and even through my private practice if I ever decide to grow that more
0: yeah And and it seems as it seems like a lot of this work that you're doing is very trauma-focused.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. So how did you kind of fall, um, not mm-hmm. fall into it, but kind of find yourself in the trauma world?
1: Mm-hmm. That's,
2: trauma has always been a big interest of mine. Um, growing up back home where they're in the Rio Grande Valley, at least at the time, and I, I think it is definitely better now than you know when I lived down there, there were so few resources when it came to mental health needs for either children or adults. There was like acute care needs like, like mental health hospitals and things of that nature. But you really didn't hear about anyone getting counseling or therapy or anything like that. And so when I was younger, um, there were there were a few things that happened in my life where I, I really needed that support for myself and it wasn't available mm-hmm. and I think it really could have changed um, who I am right now and being a less anxious person <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> had those things been addressed you know in real time mm-hmm. um, and maybe I'd have better like coping skills and and, and things that I could have used along the way. Um, and thankfully, like, you know, as an adult, I've engaged in my own therapy, and so I've gotten to such a better place. But th- it was a struggle for a while, and, and it's interesting how, like, younger me, um, I just from my own experience, I was like, I want to help young people who are struggling with the same things, and I don't want them to feel alone. I want them to feel like they have someone there, and I want them to have someone that looks like them and speaks like them, too, because especially moving here to Austin, what I notice even now, but even more so when I started out in the field, is that there are so few bilingual mental health um, therapists or clinicians. Mm-hmm. And, and so for myself, going to conferences, I, I really focused my energy on I want to help the toughest population because I'm bilingual. This is a service I can provide, a higher level service I can provide to mi gente. And so I wanted to do that, and so I really focused a lot on that, but I would go to conferences and trainings and things, and I'd be having people ask me, as soon as they knew I was bilingual, they were like, are you looking for a job? Oh, we're hiring. We're hiring for this. What do you make now? We could pay more. Like, it was insane how often that would happen, and I never jumped around because of that because I enjoyed the work I was doing, but that's that just shows the level of need that's out there mm-hmm. for people who are bilingual and really trauma focused. Yeah. Um, and part of me doing like the EMDR training and then getting certified was that that's such a high level of, of service that you can provide mm-hmm. that really helps profoundly when it comes to trauma and like really reducing those symptoms like reoccurring. And um, and so I did my training. You do part of it, with the way I did it is you do part of it in English like the kind of like the research content part and then when you're doing the practicum piece I did it all in Spanish. Oh you can do that. Mm -hmm. And that was to make sure I was like I know I could do it in English for sure but let me try to do it in Spanish while I'm training because or else I'll be too scared to try to do it um, Mm -hmm. otherwise and there were some people at the training when they originally had asked like who's going to need you know the Spanish practicum piece, there were a lot more people that raised their hand than when we actually went into it. And I think some people felt timid about their level of Spanish. And that's something that I also have struggled with, too, where I'm like, well, I grew up speaking both languages, but am I really bilingual? And I am, but um, but I even feel that sometimes because there's a lot of like clinical jargon, academic jargon that gets used where in some of those spaces, I don't feel like I'm adequate, even though I am. Mm-hmm. I feel
0: that. I mm-hmm. feel that,
1: too. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, even just, like, the concept of translating. Um, mm. Like, yesterday, I have, I, I have some Spanish-speaking clients mm-hmm. where I work, and I primarily work with children, but, you know, I have to talk to the parents as well. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to the parents, and I find myself, like, when it's just, like, me and my girls, and we're speaking Spanish, like, yeah. it's just very fluid, right? Mm-hmm. But whenever I have to, like, almost use both of my brains at the same time like there's some words that i get stuck in mm-hmm. and sometimes i feel like less competent mm-hmm. because it's hard to translate sometimes and i don't think that we give ourselves the credit like your your brain is working times two right now oh, for sure like, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like trying to um ¿cómo se llama? translate <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, <traducir. laughs> um, so it can get really hard and you're right like we don't speak proper Spanish we speak more of that like
1: slang Spanish
0: yeah we speak more of that slang mm-hmm. Spanish but also like a lot of the families that we work
1: with also speak that same yes. slang yeah. Spanish yeah mm-hmm. that so. is very true because the other day I was talking as proper as I could in Spanish and then the parent was like what like then I took out my slang word to like ah oh, okay yes, <laughs>
2: yes yes when I think it makes families feel more comfortable right because it's like oh you speak like I do mm-hmm. you're because um, I feel like in our in the mental health world or in, you know if there's a power differential or there's a feeling of that then that makes people kind of more timid kind of cower yeah mm-hmm. where I want to close it I want to close up a bit and so if I'm just speaking like I would with my family like um normal and not trying to be like all stuffy and like soy and like whatever um it just it it helps break down some of those barriers Mm -hmm. like we're all we're all in this together this is a team effort we're working together to try and help your your kiddo
0: yeah but it's it's really hard to try to explain those Mm -hmm. like diagnosis Mm -hmm. and like the tests or the assessment questionarios and like Mm -hmm. what they're for and and things like that, or, like, even trying to explain symptoms, like, Mm -hmm. that can be very difficult to do in, you know, in Spanish, when you don't have the words to Mm -hmm. explain them, Mm -hmm. yeah, but, so, I kind of lost my place, (laughs) (laughs) that's okay, Um, so with, with being, you know, first gen in, in, in college, and in that and and going into trauma world what has been i guess like your life's purpose now (sighs)
2: um so part of uh, part i'm trying to think of how to like synthesize it um so part of what i want to do and like the reason i got i'm pursuing my doctorate is i want representation is so important And so I want to have a seat at the table when decisions are being made about people that speak and look like me. And when it comes to um, trauma and when it comes to, like in my research I'm doing immigrant-related trauma, there is so much that is not understood or known about it, and there's not a lot of research about it. And I want to be part of those spaces when people are talking about how we serve these individuals um, what do, what are their needs and um and so that's my my hope and my goal is that in eventually that i'll be able to be in a space and i i'm not sure quite sure what that would look like but i want to be i want to be in a role where i can be helping to make decisions that are trauma-informed and that are really going to help um the immigrant population, because there's so much need there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like speaking to my heart right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I guess, like, what have, what have, what are your findings right now based on the research that you've made? How has, what kind of trauma mm-hmm. are immigrants experiencing when they come to
2: the U.S.? Mm-hmm. So, so my focus has mostly been on the immigrant population that is coming from the Central American triad, and so we have a lot of families that are coming from Guatemala, Honduras, um, and and traveling from Central America down into Mexico into the United States, and, um, and some of these individuals, some of these families, I've, before I even started my doctorate, like, I was treating in therapy, and so I, I, saw this need like oh my gosh there's so much trauma that is coming with these individuals and there's so many behaviors that are happening with kids in schools that people aren't really aware why what is this about and they just see this kid as travieso or like hard to work with or you know stubborn whatever you know negative connotation they put with the student and it's like no this is trauma what you're seeing is trauma and if we can get them help then then you won't see this behavior anymore and you'll see a student who can now sit still and can now listen in class and engage with other students and connect with other students and so um, what I'm seeing in the research and confirms like what I was seeing in practice is that um, the research shows that there's like three three stages of when these when trauma is occurring for immigrants and there's and not for all of course um, but for a big majority who are coming from that Central American triad and so there's the um, the reason why they left right so there's I've had families who it was gang related activity they were being threatened there was um, physical and sexual assaults that occurred and so they had to flee and so there's that level of trauma which is already horrible and then there's the migration piece of trauma and so as they're traveling thousands of miles to come in hopes of a better life in hopes of safety for their family they're experiencing hunger they're experiencing no water no shelter um, fear of being physically assaulted sexually assaulted um, robbed you name it Um, I have children who would tell me how they saw people dead, how they had no money, they were starving, they had, you know, it's just horrific. So they've already left based on these horrific events that are happening. Then they continue to experience this horror as they're coming and then don't even get me started about if their parents are detained or if they see the detainment happen, it's just compounding that trauma. And then once they get to the United States, if they're fortunate enough to make it here, um, then there's trying to navigate the different systems we have and just fit in and connect with other people. And um, when I I decided that this is what I wanted to do, it was during the 2016 election, and there was all of these horrible things happening Mm -hmm. to immigrants where they were being locked in cages and it's still happening and, and I would speak with kids who, you know, they're telling me in Spanish, like, why doesn't the president like me? Why don't people like us? Why do people hate us? And it was heartbreaking. And so that's, like, another level of trauma that's happening. It's, like, I'm here, but I'm not wanted. Um, the systems are not created to help me, even though there are things here to help them. And so and part of me doing this research is I want to look at if we, since we, since in the United States, we provide a free education to children, and a lot of families, they do, they, they register their kids for, for school because they don't have to pay for it, and their kids can excel if they have an education, mm-hmm. um, is if we can provide early school-based interventions for these students where they're getting their mental health and basic needs met or we're connecting them to services where they can be successful, um, then maybe they'll graduate, maybe they'll, you know, get out of poverty and and be able to have their trauma treated so they don't stay in that cycle. Mm-hmm. And so that's really um, what my focus has been on and, like, what I'm seeing in the research. And, and it just confirms what I was seeing when I was serving these clients, too. It's like this is absolutely what I was seeing and this is why this is so important.
1: Yeah. I, oh, mm. I want to cry. <laughs> I no, you're like como un ángel caído del cielo. No, like, literally, like, your research, I... I feel like I feel it because I work with families, and right now, the Central American families are in high demand mm-hmm. because I work for nonprofit, so we do a lot of basic needs and stuff. Yes, um, but also provide them like parent education classes for the parents, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is like adaptation, like adapting mm-hmm. to this new environment and knowing like don't like don't get me like there's so many times that parents are like mejor me quiero regresar. Yes, like mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. hard here. Yes, I not find a job. Mm-hmm. Like they're not paying me what they're supposed to be yes. paying me. Like they're taking advantage of my work.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, like they're exploited. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and my mm-hmm. my child is feeling like they don't belong
2: because mm-hmm. they don't
1: speak the language. Yes. Mm-hmm. like so many things like that, and it just breaks my heart. Like it makes me feel like in a place that I'm like I'm grateful for what I have, mm-hmm. but also I'm like I could do more, like especially yeah. what you're doing right now, which I'm really happy that. You're providing all of that research, and I know. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> I know
0: you're like definitely speaking to my heart. Um, I think, I think like as in the helping profession that we are in, like we don't just come into this because we decide when we're younger, like I want to be a therapist. Well, yeah. sometimes you do, right? Yeah. But. I think we we become this person that we needed when we were younger at least Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of my Mm -hmm. perspective of why I became a therapist I'm like I'm becoming the adult I needed when I was a little girl (laughs) (laughs) you know like that that person that helps you um and so I definitely like see see myself kind of following those footsteps of like Giving back to La Raza, like, mm-hmm. I, I've always thought about, like, the children who get separated from their parents mm-hmm. at such a young age when they come into this country, and mm-hmm. all that trauma, trauma and attachment mm-hmm. that kind of gets, you know, um, disturbed whenever, mm-hmm. disrupted whenever they yes. are separated, um, so, and like you, like, I was, like, in a school system as well working with young children, and I was like, this child cannot sit through this class because, their felt safety like they're not safe in this Mm -hmm. country like they're not Mm -hmm. safe in this classroom Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think back into the 2016 election as well and I mean I was at Texas State during that time still and I remember there like I was legitimately like scared that Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. because there was like this sign that people found like in the in, in like the the restroom stalls like the Texas State vigilantes that they were gonna like take down any any what was it like any inclusive group or diversity affirming like group and stuff so I would be like legitimately like scared to like go to class by myself mm-hmm. because you know there was so much hate in the country or well, more open hate in the country yes. during that time yeah
2: yeah well and I know for myself I I remember talking with my husband and well, he was my boyfriend at the time, but <laughs> my husband about um should I start carrying my birth certificate with me like what if i'm um what if I'm pulled over and because that was all part of it, like it didn't matter um with profiling, it didn't matter what you look like or how you spoke, but they could just say well, you don't have your papers, so like I'm, we're going to detain you until you can prove otherwise, but then once you're in detainment, you can't prove anything because you have no access to a phone so, or, you okay. know, it's just set up to to deport you. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I, I legitimately was worried because there were raids that were happening in the Austin area like near the school where I was at and and um, because they can't do it at the school they'd be like across the street or they'd be at you know waiting by a nearby church and it was just so scary and and that's because I have my citizenship I cannot even imagine the fear that my clients were experiencing not having citizenship and just trying to do the best that they could for their families and just mm-hmm. trying to survive and then on top of that fear and and them working as hard as they possibly could they're getting exploited like you said you know where they're not being um, paid the way they should because they are undocumented or um, or they have people who are yelling at them or tell or threatening to you know I'm gonna call la um, migra on you if you do X y and Z or if you don't do X Y and Z mm-hmm. and um, just it's the experience that some immigrants have is just horrific and it's it's
1: so heartbreaking mm-hmm.
2: it is, very heartbreaking. It is. Mm-hmm.
1: and like you said I feel like people become more scared to get the help that they mm-hmm. need mm-hmm. just because they're like why will I talk to someone who doesn't know mm-hmm. where I'm coming from or like why will I talk to someone in a, in a country that they're probably with them yeah. the people that don't want us mm-hmm. yeah Like it's it's very hard.
0: And just and also like just the fear to even admit that you are undocumented to some to specific services, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like, yes, there are services for people who are undocumented, but also you have to admit Mm
2: -hmm. that. Yeah, you
0: have to like not necessarily prove it, but you have to like fit into specific boxes to be able to get specific services. Mm -hmm. Um, So even the fear of doing that and trusting, like, how do we know that you're not going to give this information to other people, to ICE or to...
2: Oh, for sure. And that's something, when I was doing the work with, doing more work with immigrant families, I was a school-based therapist. So it was like a contractor for the school district and providing the therapeutic service. And so I'd I'd need to bring in families to do um, the interview so I could get, like, the social history and all of that for a student. And because I was bilingual, I mostly served um, immigrant families who were Spanish-dominant. And I I would know that someone didn't feel comfortable telling me their story because they were worried about me, you know, possibly reporting them. So that just became part of what I would say immediately at the beginning. Like, I am not required to report anything regarding citizenship status. The only reason I am gonna ask you these questions um, is because it can help me know what your child has experienced so I can serve them as best as I can. And I was like, you can share as much or as little as you want to with me, but just know the more information you share, the the better picture I can get of how I can help your child. Mm -hmm. I was like, but otherwise, like, I'm not gonna report anything to anybody. Yeah. Um and sometimes you would see parents be like okay, and then they would start telling me their you know their history or their story or how they their journey to the United States, but it it needed to be explicitly said every time so mm-hmm. they just understood like I am I yeah, your citizen sh- status does not affect the service you get. I'm not telling anybody about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in in while you were speaking, you said that there isn't a lot of research done on the trauma that immigrants mm-hmm. you know, experience and yeah. is piled up on top of, of them, but um, what kind of things have you seen in the children that you work with and in the families that you work with that they struggle the most with here, um, and I guess the gaps in services that are provided for mm-hmm. those families?
2: What I see is just untreated trauma. So for children, what I've mostly seen is there is trauma related to witnessing something. So it's either them witnessing what occurred in their home country and made them had to flee, Mm -hmm. or it's them witnessing a parent getting detained, or I had a student whose parent was pulled over for something, I don't remember what, and then detained because then they found out they they were um, undocumented and so there's those experiences where because there's not a way that we find out that social history when they come into school um, we just don't know and then later I would get um, like a referral for a student to see me because they're struggling in class they're you know maybe they're being mean to other students or they're just not paying attention whatever the reason was. Um, Then once I had them with me and we were able to talk, and, you know, after a couple of sessions of just establishing rapport in a relationship, students would open up about, well, here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I can't stop thinking about. It's like, well, of course you can't focus in school if all you're thinking about is, when is my dad going to be released?
0: So I guess, like, the primary identity identificators for a child who is an immigrant who has experienced trauma to even receive therapeutic services is through the school and based on behaviors Mm -hmm. so I guess in a sense there is also those kids that don't display those aggressive behaviors or disruptive Mm -hmm. behaviors in the schools that kind of go unseen
2: absolutely Mm -hmm. without
0: without services Mm -hmm. without dealing with all that trauma
2: Mm -hmm. and that's where like that psychoeducational piece I think is so important so like I um I would speak with my teachers who taught the the bilingual classes who maybe they had more of our immigrant students or first gen students in their classroom and so it'd be like if you see someone who's really withdrawn if you see someone who's not engaging if you see da, 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 because here's what might be happening or if they seem like they're wearing the same clothes over and over again like any any of these kind of little indicators where maybe it's not this extroverted you know behavior that might get them Uh, disciplinary referral or something um, like let me know so I can just check in with them and just make sure that they're okay and then eventually it became if we get someone who just came from any other country like just please just let me know just so I can go introduce myself
0: Mm -hmm. and that's something that I guess like social workers or counselors really need to make an emphasis of Mm -hmm. because it's not necessarily required by the law to Mm -mm. make those yeah, so there's there's a chance that there's a lot of schools in Texas or even just in the country mm-hmm. where they're not screening for these things. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh.
2: Yeah, well, and especially if you don't speak the language, I mean, that's just a huge added barrier. I'm fortunate that I can at least immediately speak with these students and be, like, introducing myself in their home language, um, telling them about what I do in their home language. But then if if I didn't speak their their home language, I mean, then I would need either – to have them with me with like language line or have an interpreting service or something and so that's just like another added barrier mm-hmm. um and it's uh, not the fault of anyone you know not everyone learns a second language but it, it really is a huge barrier
1: mm-hmm. so maybe the lack of bilingual therapists is yes. one of those because mm-hmm. i feel yeah. like usually school counselors or therapists are mostly american or english speaker mm-hmm. counselors so mm-hmm. The barrier of not having more out there absolutely yeah and
0: i think even also like even for the families to even know where to ask for help because Mm -hmm. i mean like I hate to admit it but like in a country where you don't feel accepted and like what Mm -hmm. like i think that even decreases the the willingness to try to find those services or those Mm -hmm. things like i know families who do a lot for um, trying to find those resources, but mm-hmm. also like so many resources are so inaccessible to mm-hmm. to those families mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, that they're like, why even look mm-hmm. for those?
1: Or a lot of people don't even know because like I know that here in the U.S. there's so many opportunities, but we don't advertise them. Mm-hmm. They're just there, but mm-hmm. like people have to go and look for them. And I feel like people who come new to the country, if they don't have those resources back home or where they're from, you're going to be like, well, probably they don't have it here either. And I have seen that as well where, like, now that, like, lunch is free sometimes, they're like, Mm -hmm. maybe there's a lot of parts in the country where you had to take your lunch. So you have all of these things of, like, oh, well, let me take my lunch. And you're like, no, don't worry about it. Like, it's Mm -hmm. free. And you're like, what? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, all of these stuff, because I have family who are transitioning to the country, too. um, So it's it's a little bit of an adaptation. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, adapting to this new rules you can say mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
0: and so much paperwork that you have to fill out too mm-hmm. for all those services that you oh gosh
2: when well, the immigration system alone is so complicated so like even someone who is educated um, trying to navigate that system it is confusing it is it's not impossible but it really feels impossible yeah it's, it's rough
0: yeah i mean even for people who are you know, who have the privilege of being educated and going mm-hmm. to a secondary, you know, educational system. I forgot the word, for it. Mm-hmm. But, but like going to college, like even like for example, like even working on my like I'm once I'm supposed to like get citi- get my citizenship soon, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and like even looking into that makes me nervous because yeah. all the legal jargon. Like even if you mess something up on mm-hmm. your documentation, like you're. Like, it needs to be, like, perfect before you submit it. And that's even with me that I went to college, and I know how to read both languages. Like, that's -hmm. that's really difficult. So even having someone who doesn't really know anything about the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I was thinking about how you were talking about the school services that you provide. One of the things that I was thinking is also the having the resources to get the help. Yes. I feel like a lot of parents and families think, oh, es que no tengo el dinero. Mm, uh-huh. Like, that's expensive. Like, that's a luxury.
2: Uh-huh. Like,
1: uh-huh. yo no puedo, like, poner pon ahorita. Uh-huh. But I feel like a lot, especially in schools, like you said, they're public schools. There are a lot of services that are free uh-huh. for the kids that maybe eventually they can get some help that uh-huh. are affordable for the parents. Uh-huh. Um, do you feel like that is something that, it's accessible to the families, or?
2: Yeah, so one of the reasons that I, like, through the research that I'm doing that I really want to advocate for school-based services is because everyone's entitled to a free public education mm-hmm. in the United States. And so if it's, if it's a service provided in school, it will be free. And then it eliminates the barrier of having to try and work around your work schedule to take a child to an agency or to mm-hmm. somewhere else. So if we can provide those mental health services at the very least, Um, providing those services in schools then if I'm working two three jobs I'm working overnight and you know during the day um, I don't really have the time to do that and it's not because Mm -hmm. I don't want to or it's because I don't want my kid to be okay it's because I'm just trying to survive and and so if we can provide those services in school where the kids are already coming to school they're already there they're already gonna be there all day we're feeding them then let's also take care of their mental well-being so they can be more successful academically since That's the purpose of schools, right, to give people an education. Well, let's let's decrease the barriers of them being able to be successful, Mm -hmm. you know, in that academic setting. And so I think schools are a really great place to do that.
1: I think so, too, Mm -hmm. because I hear that a lot. And that was even me, too, getting therapy. I was like, that's expensive. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have the money or the extra cash for that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think it was important Mm -hmm. until you start seeing your progress and you start seeing your healing as well you start emphasizing a little bit more no that's important mm-hmm. it's not a luxury it's a need like yeah. you know yeah. and especially if we have the opportunity to make it re- like reachable and accessible to our families it's, it's great yeah. mm-hmm. and I'm happy to hear that we have it out there and maybe like not advertise it but let our families know out there hey like mm-hmm. reach, yeah. reach out to your school mm-hmm. uh, you know ask the counselor
0: mm-hmm. well I think even like giving the families then like that psychoeducation of things to look out for in their children and even themselves Mm -hmm. that will indicate that they do need extra assistance. Mm -hmm. Because I mean like within the Latino community like we know like well Mm -hmm. I had the same struggles but I did it as I was growing up and Mm -hmm. I didn't need medicine and I didn't need a counselor or someone to talk to and that could also be coming from another country like you know like from honduras and guatemala of them kind of having that mindset like Mm -hmm. this is just something shitty that happened to me but like
2: you move forward or you pick yourself up Mm -hmm. so I
0: guess like what are what are some things that families or even just teachers can look out for I know you mentioned like if they you know might be withdrawn and stuff but at home you get a totally different child Mm -hmm. so I guess what are some things uh, if you know that Mm -hmm. children might be experiencing at home or even Mm -hmm. you know adults themselves that they should be like okay maybe I should go talk to someone
2: yeah Um, so if you look at, like, your daily kind of activities and way of just being, um, so if I'm, if people are having a hard time connecting with others, um, that can be an indicator that something's wrong, because there's something that is making that person feel either that I can't trust to connect with someone, or, or I'm incapable of doing it for whatever reason, um, so that would be an indicator, um changes in eating and sleeping are always big red flags if someone something's happening um and it the hard thing is that it could be more or less right it could be if if kiddos or adults are eating a lot more if they're eating a lot less just changes in diet same thing with sleep sleeping more sleeping a lot less um are big indicators as well um not enjoying the things that the kiddo typically enjoys would also be a a big indicator like something's going on we should probably have a conversation either with your pediatrician or a mental health provider um, because once we start not taking joy in the things that we normally do enjoy um, it's a it's a big indicator like something's going on and we need to explore it Mm -hmm. but and of course like agitation um, just getting upset at things that they typically didn't get upset about so for some students it can be Well, their paper just has a little tear on it, but they, you know, they lost it and they're crying, and I don't know what's going on. And people see it as like that kid is being dramatic or something like that. It's like, oh, there's probably something else going on underneath that. Yes, or está Mm -hmm. chiflado. Yes, and 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 no, it's like, well, let's let's look into that more. Like, let's just figure out what might be causing that because you're right, that is a big reaction for something that is a small thing that happened. But let's explore the why, what's Mm -hmm. behind that, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that can be areas where where we miss it. Um, but something I, I wanna make sure to mention is I think there's an important piece to understanding the intergenerational trauma that happens. So we have, we're, we're talking about serving students, but then there's also these parents who have really experienced these horrific things and who are just trying to be the best parent they have despite all this trauma that they are holding and carrying. They're just trying to survive in this new country. and. One thing that I think is really important is if we can look at um, children and families that we serve through that ecological model, which is, like, you have your client, you have their family, you have their community, and you have all the systems with which they interact. And so if we look at people through that lens, then we will serve all of those systems, and then we can truly get to a place of healing. Because if I'm just helping this kiddo out, but their parent isn't getting any support – then their parent is still going to be struggling. They're still going to be... Um, they might also be increasingly agitated easily, so then they're going to be agitated at their child. And it's not because they're a bad parent. It's just because they have unresolved trauma. And so I think that's a really important piece that we miss when we are serving students is that we leave the parent kind of out of it, and we don't get them services as well. And the when I was doing... When I was a school-based therapist, that was the model that we used, which was we would serve anyone that was associated with that student. So I could see a teacher for therapy, I could see the custodian for therapy, I could see the cousin, whoever. And it was amazing because you really got to see healing happen because healthier teachers, healthier classrooms, healthier students, students are getting served, um, teachers are getting served everyone has this service that was completely free to them and they're getting actual therapy and not just like an EAP where it's three sessions and then okay sorry like you're done Um, but it was really treating like the root of what's going on and that was such a beautiful model and and it's part of what I'm writing about because I I do think that kind of model of of truly treating the whole system Mm -hmm. is so important because we do end up neglecting these other people that are such key players in this child's life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that model.
1: Me yeah. too. And I feel like it's, you're completely right. In order to help someone, we have to go to the, la race, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like those kinds of things that if we want to know where the issue, or not like, not the issue, but like where everything is coming from, mm-hmm. just go to like the parent, like maybe mm-hmm. there's something that the parent, that happened to the parent that now yeah. is passing along to the child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Definitely.
0: I think that's such beautiful work that you're doing, and that I think definitely needs a light to be put on. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm I'm glad you're doing it.
2: Thank
1: you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad you're doing
1: it. I oh want yeah. you to t- give yourself a pat in the back mm-hmm. every night, every morning. A hug, give yourself a hug. High <laughs> pat because <in there> <laughs> you're doing great. And
0: I want to be like you when I grow up. No, me yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. um, what is one thing that or maybe if you have more than one, um that you any advice for any other first gen, second gens, mm. any other Latino community out there that is trying to me it's probably there. I wanna be like Vanessa, but I don't know yeah. how to get there or like what yeah. is some advice that you give to those people out there? Even ourselves. I <laughs> I, I, <I'm laughs> oh goodness. Um
2: such a big question it's a good question mm-hmm. um I'd say just believe in yourself um because the cards are stacked against us <laughs> in being successful and but we are we are strong people and and really drawing from from the strength of our ancestors like when I um for example when I uh, applied for this position uh, imposter syndrome such a huge thing um <laughs> in my life and I was like ah, am I really qualified for this I absolutely am but but I just still had all those things in my head where I was like oh I don't know if I'll be good enough I don't know you know doubting myself and then I wrote a note to myself and I had it next to me while I was interviewing because it was a zoom interview and I was like I'm going to draw from the strength of my ancestors and I just like would look at it and I'm just like okay yeah this is why I'm doing this is so I can you know be successful, and like I was saying earlier, be the dream that my ancestors had for me. And and I want that for everyone in our community, is like you, you absolutely can do the things that you wanna do, and it's about trying to find the people who can support you in that. And I know that not everyone has um, that support system, but even if it's a friend, if it's a teacher, if it's a professor, um, whoever that is, is just getting connected. Um, within whatever community is that you have so that way um, when times are tough because they're going to be tough um, having someone that you can go to and connect with Mm -hmm. and and who will tell you "No, you got this like here Mm -hmm. let me remind you your why of why you're doing this Um, and I know I've had those people in my corner like not going to lie there have been times where I've literally been in tears and I'm like why am I doing this to myself I'm working full-time I'm trying to write you know work on a dissertation and it's really freaking hard and where I've you know I've looked at my husband or you know family and I'm like why am I doing this to myself and and then like my brother or someone would be like remember your grandma like remember this is like you wanted to do this for her and remember how proud she would be of you if she was still here and I was like right okay yeah yeah she's with me she sees me she wanted this for me okay this is why I'm doing this this is my why
1: mm-hmm. that's beautiful <gasps> that is really nice <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. well thank you so much um and I, when you were saying the people out there who feel like they don't have the support because I know that fortunately mm-hmm. there's some people out there who yes. want to be more and who want to do more but they don't have the support this is the whole purpose of this podcast and this community is to be here for you guys Mm -hmm. Um, reach out to us can people reach out to you for any questions or anything Mm -hmm.
2: like that absolutely yeah my website is robeless emotional health um (laughs) and so you can contact me through there if there's if there's any way that i can be of service to our community i am happy to do that and i'm happy to be that for you thank you vanessa thank you
0: Vanessa. (laughs) thank you and you can reach out to us too yeah yeah we can connect you we can connect uh,
1: you to her if you're maybe needing a little push you're like oh Mm-hmm. she's she's a so badass I don't know <laughs> uh, yeah, <she's> <laughs>
0: um, yeah I mean and that's like you said I think this is a purpose for our podcast like giving mm-hmm. giving back to our familia Latina and just being there and letting us be that big sister big sibling mm-hmm. that will help you help guide you through through any um, struggle that you might have and if we don't know the answers, like, we we, we got computers now and internet. We can Google. do some research. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we can do some research with y'all. Even Google nails. <laughs> Lo La Google a- Leo. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. But, again, thank you so much. I think thank this you for is, having uh, me. Yeah, thank you both. Yeah. A conversation that definitely needed to be well,
1: had today. share it to your family members, friends. Mm-hmm. This was such a great interview episode. Mm-hmm. And thank you for sharing your research, your your career and yeah. your <laughs> everything um and we're very grateful and hope to see bring you back and maybe talk a little bit more of the other great things that you do because i know that you do more than just <laughs> what you just shared today <laughs> so thank you and remember that que lloramos. Yes, <laughs> you <do. laughs> thank
0: you <laughs>